Uh, we're starting a series on First John. Uh, I'm really excited about it. This series is actually going to take us for several weeks. By the end, uh, hopefully you'll still love First John, uh, but we're doing it for a while, and so you may get tired of it. But I really hope that by the end you'll be as excited about it as I am. First uh, John uh, is an incredible book, like all 66 books of the Bible, but um, this one has a pretty special place in my heart overall. I'm not sure if you guys are uh, or not, but I, um, or if you guys do or not, but I really love history. Now, I'm not a history buff like Casey or anything like that. I, I don't know like specific like dates of all the battles and all the different empires and all that sort of deal. Um, but I enjoy learning things about history, uh, but more than just watching a documentary on you know World War II or ancient civilizations, what I, what I really love about it is actually like hearing like real human stories, like, like real people's stories. So you can talk about like World War II and you can talk about all the battles and you talk about all these nations fighting and this sort of deal, kind of big scope. Uh, but it, for me, where it gets really interesting is when you start hearing real stories of real people who are on the battlefield. Right, it kind of comes to life whenever you get like an actual name and a real life encounter story attached with something. Uh, a lot of times, uh, for me, and I, I feel like this is true for a lot of people, the Bible we kind of look at it like that. We see it as a whole, which is good, and then sometimes we do get specific. Like tonight, we're talking about a specific book, and we will for several weeks. Uh, and we even look at specific passages, but we kind of forget that the writers of these books were real people in real places. And, and, and a lot of these stories, or all of these stories, really happened. A lot of times we think of, um, this is just an example, so Noah's, Noah's Ark, we hear that story a lot, and we see it painted on, like, nursery walls and stuff. I won't even get started on my feelings on that. Um, but, like, we, we it's almost like, a kiddie story to us, something that's just happened a long time ago that we're not really connected to. And in a lot of ways, that's true. But, like, it really happened. Everything and everyone in the world, except what was on that boat, died. Like, that story for real happened. And so when you read it and you realize that Noah was a real person and his family were real people at this real time in history, it kind of comes to life, right? And so I want to do this a little bit for First John. Obviously, um, the writer of First John was who? John. John. Yep, it's right there in the name. John. But what John? There have been a couple in the Bible to this point, right? This specifically is the Apostle John or disciple. We guys talked about last week that disciple is Christianese, meaning follower. Um, so John was one of the 12 disciples of Jesus. Now, John was actually a disciple of John the Baptist, the other John in the Bible. Uh, he was a disciple of him before he was a disciple of Jesus. So he followed John the Baptist, and then whenever he met Jesus and found out, oh, this guy's the Messiah, he's a Savior, he jumped ship with John the Baptist, which John the Baptist was okay with. He jumped ship and started following Jesus. No, it was, it was before that. It was before, it was before John the Baptist died. But he jumped ship and started following Jesus uh, after he met Jesus and realized that he was the Messiah. Uh, and the thing about John is he's most known... Uh, for love. He's known as the disciple that Jesus loved. He himself, the, the characteristic of love is kind of attached to John a lot. But the thing, if you read the stories with a little bit of detail, you realize that John actually kind of had this like fiery uh, temperament about him. There were times that he would like really get riled up. One specific story, uh, well, 
to even start with, he and his brother, James, were called the Sons of Thunder, which is a pretty cool name. I used to be, like, a huge wrestling fan. I don't really watch it now, but, like, when I was younger, like, me and my dad and my brother would watch, like, WWF, and we'd, like, wrestle while these guys are on the TV, like, wrestling and stuff. I just imagine these guys as, like, an incredible tag team duo. And in this corner, the Sons of Thunder. Like, that would just be a really cool name, right? So, anyway, so they're called the Sons of Thunder. And one example of this um, is there's a Samaritan town that rejected Jesus. They didn't really have anything to do with him, didn't really want him to be there. And, and John and his brother walk over to Jesus, and they're like, hey, we can just pray some fire down in this town right now and take them out. And Jesus is like, no, you don't have to do that. And I'm, I'm wondering, like, okay, do they, can they really do that? Can these guys, like, really, like, just pray and, like, call fire down? Because that'd be pretty cool. But, like, these guys were ready to, like, get after it. And you're like, well, you rejected Jesus, fire. You know? Uh, and so he kind of had this temperament. Another story in church tradition um, is that later in John's life, uh, he knew this guy who was like the head of this uh, 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 thieving community. So there was this community of robbers and things that he was like, this guy was the head of. The guy became a Christian, kind of went out of that lifestyle, and then later started getting back into that life. And, it, and the story is that John just walks into this camp full of thieves and robbers and like dangerous dudes. He just walks in, walks up to the leader and says, you're wrong. You're a Christian. You need to get out of this. You need to repent. Like just boldly comes to this guy who could just have a million people kill this, kill him right then. He just walks up to him and says, you need to repent. And the dude does. And he gets back out of that lifestyle. And so John was really bold. He kind of, he had this temperament at times that he would just get into things um, and he could get worked up and, and get after it. So John wrote, uh, Five books of the New Testament. Uh, can you name? Can you name any of them besides First John? Second and Third John. John. Pretty obvious. Yep. John, the Gospel of John. Yeah. Okay. So there's four. There's one more. What? Revelation. Okay. So he wrote Revelation. He wrote uh, the Gospel of John, First, Second, Third John, and Revelation. And so, some more visuals to kind of help John come to life, so that as we study through this book, you realize how real all of this is. Uh, I've got some maps here. <clears throat> So put up the first one. Um, so John, whenever he was, uh, when he was hanging out with Jesus, he was way over here in this little bitty little thing called Israel, right? And then later in life, when he uh, wrote the Gospel of John, first, second, and third, not gonna be like Casey and Troop over this light. Uh, when he wrote those four books, he was in Ephesus, which if you see where Cyprus, the word is, and then you go up, it's along the coast there. Uh, it's not named at that at this point, but that's. That's where he wrote those. And then as the Roman Empire got less and less tolerant of Christianity um, at the, the last few years of John's life, he actually got exiled. Go ahead and go to the next image there. He got exiled to an island called Patmos. And so go back to that slide before real quick. Uh, in case, just to help this come to life a little more, if you're not familiar with the world, this bottom part is the north of Africa, right? The top part is the south of Europe. So you have France and Spain over there, places that we know today, right? Italy. Um, back then, where Turkey is, um, and it's not Turkey like the bird, unfortunately. Um, so where Turkey is uh, was known as Asia Minor, and that's and so again, along the coast over on the west side is where John was hanging out. Um, you can go ahead and get away from those maps. So the, these were real places, and, and several of them still exist today. Uh, so... Um, John was a real person in a real place, and he was writing this letter that circulated to a few of the churches right there around Ephesus. Let's jump in. Everybody got Bibles? 
So turn to First John. It's right before Second John, if that helps anybody. All the way toward the end of the Bible. A lot of you were really smart, and when you saw it on the slide, you were like, I'm going to turn there now. <clears throat> All right, so we're going to read verses 1 through 4. Here you go, read along with me. <clears throat> that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testify to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father, uh, excuse me, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you, so that you too may uh, have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Now, John was an elder in the church, and so when he says we, he probably, he and a couple other elders are writing this, but John um, is the one attributed mostly to writing this particular book. But let's, let's walk through here. So John starts, <clears throat> he said, that which was from the beginning. So one clue here that this is the same John as the John that writes the gospel of John is that the gospel of John starts with, in the beginning was the word. And then he goes through this explanation I'm saying that Jesus is God's word. And so he's attaching this to that same, that same idea of the gospel. That which was from the beginning, Jesus, which we have heard. He's talking about the disciples. We heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands. And so he's talking about the disciples. And he's saying, we were with Jesus. We saw him. We heard him. We touched him. We lived with Jesus. We were with him. So he says all of this. John had the incredible privilege of being with Jesus physically, and, and obviously we can't um, experience that, but we can try and experience through his teachings what that was like. And so that's what he's talking about here. He's like, I, guys, I got to be with Jesus. I got to see him face to face. And then at the end of uh, verse 1, if you look there, he says, concerning the word of life. So we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. We talked about this idea of Jesus being the word. We talked about God's word being active and living, right? This means yes. Hmm? We talked about God's word being active and living. And what that means is that when God speaks, his word causes a response. So John attaches Jesus to this idea that Jesus is the word. And what that means is that Jesus, being God, demands a response from us, his creation, right? And so he's saying concerning the word of life, so concerning Jesus, and now he's talking about Jesus specifically, he says, the life was made manifest. There are several times as we go through First uh, John, hey, you just had that like grin on your face, like something was happening behind me and made me nervous. Oh. The light had an idea. Okay, um, so there are several times that John uses a word kind of frequently in sections, um, and that usually means that there's something significant with that word. He doesn't just choose words that he likes and uses them all over the time. Um, but he, the word manifest here, you've, you saw it twice as we read through it, and you'll see it again as we come to it. He says, the life was made manifest. All of that word means is clear or obvious. And so the life, Jesus, was made clear to us. You guys remember the game we played at the beginning? 
things were like really blurry and then they got less blurry and then it finally became clear like, oh, that's bananas or that's a baby and not a plane. Um, and so that's this idea of manifest is that out of something that was obscure or blurry, something is made clear, made obvious. And so John was saying we, the disciples, were with Jesus and it was clear, it was made clear that he was the Savior. Let's keep looking here. So he says, the life, Jesus, was made manifest. He was made clear. And we have seen it. And so he goes into this again. He says, and we have seen it. So we saw Jesus, and we saw the, the clear message that he was the Savior, and, and testify to it. And here's where, Jesus, uh, where John gives this response. Everybody looking up here. So this is where John, remember, Jesus is the word. And so that means that he has the authority of God, and whenever God's word is spoken, there's a response that has to happen, right? Again, this means yes. Yep. I like interaction, so you, like if I ask a question, you can like answer it. Yep. So God's word demands a response, and this is John's response right here. He and the disciples. So you can look, you can look back at the Bible now. He says, And we testify, and we proclaim to you the eternal life. So Jesus, Jesus was a real human, right? But he was also fully God. So he was a real human. He lived, he died on a cross, and then he was buried. Did he stay buried? For those who know, did he stay buried? No, he raised, he raised from the dead. And whenever he was resurrected, what happened at that point? He spent a few days with the, uh, the disciples and some people on earth, and then he went to be with God the Father, right? Is he, was he with God for only about 100 years? No. How long, how long was Jesus? Eternity, right? He's still there right now, right? Jesus is still with God. And so Jesus, because of what Jesus did, he ushered in eternal life. And that's what John is talking about here. So let's keep going. He says, and we proclaim, this is the response, we proclaim to you the eternal life, which is with the Father and was made manifest. There's that word again. And he says, so this eternal life is with the Father. You will spend this eternal life with the Father. And then it was made obvious because of Jesus. It was made clear, this eternal life that we can have. So verse 3, says, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you may have fellowship with us. And so he's talking about, so that you can have fellowship with us, As Christians, we fellowship with one another because of what? You can give me the Sunday school answer if you want. Why do we fellowship together? Jesus, right? So we fellowship together because we have in common a relationship with Jesus. We invite other people to church with us. Why? A little more than that. Why Jesus? Huh? to teach them about Jesus, right? So we, we invite people to come here so that they can hear about Jesus and so that they can be a part of our family, right? So that's what he's talking about here. He says, we, we John, myself, the, the disciples, we have proclaimed to you guys that we have seen Jesus, that he is who he said he was. He's the Savior. He's the Messiah. And because of that, you can have eternal life. And the first step of that eternal life is to to be in fellowship relationship with us. And then the second step of that is spending 
eternity in heaven with God and instead of a fiery pit of torture and damnation. So what, what does all this mean? I think there are two, there's lots of things that these uh, verses mean, but two specific things that I'm going to talk about tonight really quick and wrapping it up. Uh, the first thing is that Jesus was real, just like John Right? I went through this explanation, kind of showed you that John was like a real person. You kind of understood that before, but kind of heard some of his story. Jesus was a real person. It was God as a person. He died for us so that we can have eternal life. And the way that you receive that eternal life is that you have to admit that you need a Savior. Right? You have to admit that you need a Savior, that you're sinful and that you're broken. You have to believe that Jesus is that Savior. You have to confess your sins to him and then commit to live the way he told us to live in Scripture. So one thing that John's saying here is that you can have eternal life, and you do that through believing in Jesus. And so for some people who in this room who may not have that relationship with Jesus, who may not be a part of our fellowship really, yet you're here and you're hanging out with us and, and we love that and it's awesome, but you don't really have that relationship with Jesus These are the steps that you need to take. You need to admit that you need a Savior. Believe that Jesus is that Savior and confess your sins. If you you need to walk through that, I'd love to to help you walk through that. Any of the adult leaders in here would also love to do that. Come talk to us. Ask us about that. We'd love to help you understand more about what that means to live a life for Christ. And so the first thing is that Jesus is real. And the second thing that I want you to to take from this. Those of us who are already Christians is that Jesus is absolute truth. One of the main points in John as we continue to study on, and you kind of see hints of it in this passage, uh, one of the things that he talks about over and over again to these churches is that Jesus is absolute truth. There was this philosophy going around the time that John wrote this, and it actually has budded into be a lot more significant today. There's this philosophy that there is no absolute truth. The world is going to tell you, the culture around us is going to tell you that you there is no absolute truth. Everybody can believe whatever they want. Everybody and whatever they believe is okay, right? The world's going to tell you that you have to tolerate that and you have to put up with that and just let them live that way. Christians... That's not true. Jesus is absolute truth. The only way of salvation, the only way to the Father, is through Jesus. So again, two things from this passage is that Jesus is real, and you need to have a relationship with him. And the second thing is that Jesus is the only way of salvation. He is absolute truth. 